This is the Urban Political, the podcast on urban theory, research, and activism. Hello, and welcome to the episode of the Urban Political on racism and social mix. We are pleased to have four guests with us today. Um, uh, introducing them briefly in the alphabetical order of their first names. Uh, Javier Ruiz Tagle is an assistant prof at the University, uh, Catholic University of Chile at the Institute of Urban and Territorial Studies. Julie Chamberlain is an assistant professor in urban and inner city studies at the University of Winnipeg in Canada. Martin August is an assistant prof at the School of Planning at the University of Waterloo. And Moritz Rinn is an urban researcher at the Institute of Social Work and Social Policy at the University of Duisburg. A very warm welcome to all of you. Thank you for being here. And uh, I'm particularly grateful to Julie Chamberlain who set this episode and this dis discussion panel together and who has Uh, thought about this uh, episode conceptually, and I'd like to hand over to Julie uh, if you could set the stage for this discussion today. Sure, thank you so much, and I'm so pleased to um, be here all together today. Um, so in critical urban literature, social mix has been described as uh, an ideology, as a myth, as a form of faith-based planning sometimes, um, and as a planning practice that doesn't particularly do what it's purported to, and yet is repeated over and over again as a guiding principle and common sense in, um, in, in planning in many parts of the world. Social mix is advocated as a value at the level of neighborhoods, blocks, uh, and buildings even though scholarship has demonstrated that there's often a lack of clarity around what problems social mixing is meant to solve or, um, or avoid and what kind of mixed and is desired and why. It is imagined and implemented in terms of income, uh, types of housing tenure, and at times race or ethnicity, whether implicitly or explicitly. And sometimes racialization is a factor in mixing, but is taboo to talk about it directly. Uh, so that's the sort of implicit side of things. Whereas in other contexts, it's very much explicit that social mixing is taking place on the basis of imagined uh, inherent categorizations of people. And in Germany, where I've done some of my research, um, there is uh, legal support for discrimination against certain kinds of people in the name of creating and maintaining mix in housing and in neighborhoods and in particular areas. So there's a structure or um, a legal framework, an allowance for this kind of practice. Um, there have been flags raised by a range of different uh, critical urban scholars in terms of how social mix serves as a state strategy of control in favor of people who have economic means and privilege and access to whiteness in particular. But there hasn't been any significant move away from social mix planning in response to those concerns. Social mix has, has yet to receive a sort of substantial attention as a practice that urgently needs to 
be rethought and urgently needs to be transformed. And um, the moment that we're living in right now uh, is one where I would sort of cautiously refer to as there's some expanded public attention to the realities of structural racism. There are some, some very strong and visible movements, particularly led by Black, Indigenous, and people of color, uh, in, in also in, in many parts of the world, to address and transform relations of dominance, uh, particularly in, uh, in, the in societal structures and practices like planning. Alongside, however, a retrenchment of, of, a retrenchment of racism and of racial thinking and uh, structural resistance to transformation of, of structures that we live with. And so it's in this context that we're coming together today around the question of whether there is such a thing as socially just social mixing and to uh, think and talk about together the intersections of racism and social mix. We've brought these folks together in particular. Uh, I, have, um, I have drawn on all of your work. I found all of your work really very generative and helpful and helpful in thinking about um, the, uh, how social mix works and why it might persist despite the longstanding critiques of it. And um, so I've brought these folks together in particular as scholars who have written explicitly about the power dynamics of social mix and what the implications of those power dynamics can be, especially including the disadvantage and attempted control that social mixing can rep represent for stigmatized, low-income and racialized people. This is a group of people who do work in and about a range of different geographies uh, in Europe, in Germany in particular, in Canada, in the United States, in Chile, possibly in other geographies that I'm not aware of yet and that we'll hear about in the, in the discussion. And so that is some of the, the, the logic in bringing together this group at this moment to talk about this topic. And um, I'm so grateful to be together today, today and, and for the opportunity to talk to each other about it. So maybe I'll start by asking the first question there, Marcos. Um, I wonder if we could start with a round of, uh, if you could introduce yourself, uh, share how you came to, to study social mix and, and why you think it's important, particularly this connection between, between racism and social mix. First of all, thank you very much, Julie and Marcos for setting this all up. Um, for taking this discussion up to a debate. Uh, of course, this is a hot topic for urban studies, for policy prescriptions, for policy debates uh, all around the world. Um, my name is Javier Ristagle. Uh, I'm in Chile. I'm assistant professor at the Catholic University of Chile. You already presented me. I forgot that part. But, um, and I did uh, my dissertation research at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Uh, with a comparative study comparing Chicago, the city where I was living, with my city, Santiago, in Chile, um, studying socially diverse neighborhoods or socially mixed neighborhoods. Uh, after that, I, I, I published some of it, um, uh, of, of that work, of that dissertation work, and then I started a new 
line on urban marginality. So uh, everything that I'm going to say about social mix is going to be based on my empirical experience on, on my dissertation and also from those publications that came after that. Uh, so why it is an important topic today? Because it has become one of the most popular uh, policy prescriptions around the world. This is happening in the United States, in Canada, in several parts of Latin America, like Brazil, Argentina, Chile, in Europe, of course, France, Germany, Spain, uh, England, in South Africa, in Australia, New Zealand, um, some parts of some parts of Asia, I'm not sure, but of course it's going to be popular uh, even more in the in the in the next decade um, and it's very popular for a lot of public officials because this is going to be proposed as the end of segregation or a possible way of ending with residential segregation which is the most one of the most important urban problems of the 20th century so it has a great promise and a great symbolism so this is basically why it is important to discuss about this so my name is Martine August, and I got interested in social mix initially when I was an undergraduate student. We would just be taught in school that social mix was a good thing. I was doing urban studies and would hear healthy neighborhoods are socially mixed. And this was just one of these truisms that was taught to planning students. And when I was in grad school, we were told that you should focus on a topic uh, that bugs you because something about it hasn't been proven. And this is one of these things that I could never quite understand what these mechanisms were that made social mix create healthy neighborhoods. That wasn't clear to me. And so when I was doing my doctoral research, uh, social mix uh, was at the forefront. So I studied the mixed income redevelopment of public housing and focused that research on two communities in Toronto that were being redeveloped called Regent Park and Don Mount Court. And in these cases, these were places where social mix was being imposed or forced upon these communities uh, as part of the revitalization strategy. And so social mix was an important concept to understand. It was uh, super important in justifying that redevelopment in the public imagination and arguing that this was necessary and that it was going to be benevolent and was going to lead to benefits for people uh, once we created a socially mixed community out of a formerly low-income public housing community. And so we'll talk more about some of the critiques of this, but I wanna discuss why I think it's important. The concept is politically very powerful. It's quite difficult to come up against social mix. You seem to be in favor perhaps of the opposite, <laughs> segregation or social exclusion. Uh, so it's a very powerful topic. It is inherently seems to be benevolent and altruistic. Uh, and it is capable as a result of doing very dangerous work and that it can be used to justify uh, initiatives and policies that actually are uh, promoting things like displacement and gentrification uh, and targeting uh, racialized groups as well. Uh, and so I think it's also important because it does have potential to be a progressive idea. And that's something I think we'll also talk about today. Yeah, thank you, Marcus and Julie for bringing us all together. I'm, I really appreciate this because I'm one of um, the inhabitants of the quarter in, in Hamburg where Julie did her research on in Wilhelmsburg. I'm living here, I'm like a 
object of study of Julie. <laughs> and this is very nice. And I um, I read uh, papers of Javier and of Martin, and I was very impressed of their work too. So I'm really happy to be here with you all. Yeah, I'm um, the focus of my work uh, are urban relations and conflicts in Germany. And I want to emphasize that this is the standpoint and viewpoint of from which I talk today. And as a researcher, garnered uh, experience um, in German cities and being not directly affected by racism myself. This uh, is important, I think, to know for people who don't see me maybe at the moment. But um, yeah, and um, I... I started to uh, to be interested in in social mixing policies because uh, these were highly at the forefront in Hamburg when a new urban uh, or new social poli policy was started in the 2010s after a period of harsh neoliberal reforms and uh, or, or um, harsh neoliberal urban politics before. And the new uh, social democratic uh, urban uh, government, they promoted the social, social mix as a means yeah, to produce a city for all. And I was investigating the conflicts um, around this city for all in which urban social movements on the one side and political administrative actors on the other side were involved and engaged. And um, yeah, social mix in Germany as Julie um, um, talked about it in her introduction, is a very dominant, yeah, um, a dominant, um, I would say it's a dominant uh, biopolitical power tool to speak in this, uh, in this terms of Michel Foucault, maybe, because I would always address social mix, not as a myth, not as an ideology, and not as uh, something like a, a social reality, but it's it's a part of a dispositive of the cohesive city. It's it's a government tool. It's a government thing. It's not about a reality, urban reality, but it's it's a yeah, it's um, part of a regime um, that affects the everyday life of problematized people in problematized areas. It's organized around this urban problem thing of segregation and urban inequality and hierarchized differences in the city and social mix affects the everyday life of uh, people dwelling in those areas which are um, designated as special development areas and all this stuff and um, I think this is very important to to not only say, okay, social mixing does not go to the core of uh, the roots of um, um, social inequality in the city, but it is itself producing social inequality and fostering the exclusion. I think this is very important from my viewpoint and I want to talk about this today. And racism is, <laughs> as it is, a constitutive part of urban life and uh, social relations in the city, always a part of this, this construction of urban problems on which social mixing policies are uh, addressed to. Okay.
Thank you so much. Um, so I'm, my name is Julie Chamberlain. I am assistant professor in urban and inner city studies at the University of Winnipeg uh, in Manitoba in Canada, just since, since last year. I'm from Toronto uh, and I um, have, have done my PhD research in, in Hamburg and Wilhelmsburg, as Moritz was men mentioning. And it's through my engagement in Hamburg-Wilhelmsburg that I came to uh, study and uh, analyze social mix. For me, the critical interest in mix traces back to an encounter that I had as a master's student. Um, so that was in 2011. I was with a group of Canadian students who had an opportunity to travel to Hamburg for a few weeks. It was at a time when planners, in particular planners and politicians, were talking about Wilhelmsburg a lot, uh, talking about sort of the stigmatized neighborhood and the sort of massive transformational redevelopment projects that were underway. There was a very intense public marketing and sort of education campaign that was happening when we were there. And we had an opportunity uh, as a group, of, a group of students to meet the head of urban planning in Hamburg at the time. And he spoke to us about this historically immigrant and working class neighborhood, a neighborhood that has, had been stigmatized for a long time. And he suggested in the talk that he gave that the area's problems would be solved when the population of the area was transformed. And it was very much, um, uh, I really, uh, appreciate what you said, Martine, about being sort of counseled to pick up, to, to focus on a topic that there's something that makes you uncomfortable or something that, uh, something that worries you or troubles you that hasn't been properly proven. I was very struck by this formation of a neighborhood's problems being solved by transforming its population. And in practice, I, or sort of in principle, I've then spent the last 10 or 11 years trying to under, understand, explore, critique, on the one hand, how the quote unquote population was understood, what the population was imagined to be, um, and then to uh, explore um, what, was, what, what was posed as transformation, what transformation looked like. And I did my, my doctoral research uh, in uh, 2017, 2018, 2016 a little bit, you know, it's, it spreads over time, uh, with racialized residents of Hamburg-Wilhelmsburg talking to people about their experiences of development and planning. And, um, and it was through that that I really slowly over time came to understand just how crucial this notion of social mix was to not only what was happening in Wilhelmsburg, but how, uh, how the residents that I spoke to were making sense of what was happening, uh, critiquing it in some ways, but also kind of imagining it or hoping for it as something that would in fact bring a positive transformation to the neighborhood. And so that is, um, that's really my entry point into the topic is um, starts from a discomfort uh, and, then a, and then a sort of deeper understanding of the centrality of this common sense in German urban planning that, and my concern with it has been fueled through my PhD research where I then absolutely did hear planners and politicians say things like, well, we know that there's some evidence that this might not actually do what we think it's gonna do, but we're gonna do it anyways. <laughs> and, um, 
uh, I was really struck by that. I was, I appreciated the honesty and also uh, was deeply sort of disturbed because I have come to similar concerns and conclusions that Moritz set up where I think that it is itself a tool of inequality that reproduces inequality. And so uh, that problematization I think is really important. Great, thank you everyone for, for your yeah, intriguing insights um, on the relevance of the topic. So as a, as a ground from which to um, continue this conversation, could we maybe see if we can develop a, a working definition uh, for social mix? How would, would anyone be willing to come forward and explain to me and the listeners what social mix is and how, how to define it? Okay, I was going to start us off and then get everybody to ask everybody to refine it. So um, I was also going to say the word ideology. Uh, Moritz, you said it's not an ideology. So now I'm, just, I'm rethinking my words. Um, I say social mix is a concept or policy or ideology. Uh, it, it's very powerful in planning theory um, and is based on promoting this idea that healthy neighborhoods or communities within cities uh, are going to be socially mixed. Now, it's not always clear what kind of social mix uh, is being discussed. I think that's part of the power of this concept is it's a bit um, vague, but it's implied that this is some sort of racial, ethnic, class, economic mix that will lead to healthy social, social functioning in communities. And there's a couple ways that it can be deployed, or I guess uh, in, in practice that social mix can be created. So it's either by bringing in the type of people that are presumed to be superior. Uh, and so I think this is also, you know, one of the very important things to discuss with this concept of social mix is that it allows you to politely discuss what is really about you know, class and racial transformation of urban communities, because there's this presumed superiority about the people that are bringing the positive mix, that they're morally superior, benevolent, inherently gonna be altruistic and have some sort of positive impact on uh, allegedly pathological spaces, right? And so the, the people that are bringing the mix are presumed to be white, uh, employed, wealthy uh, people living in the city. And then um, you can also execute a social mix strategy by removing those people who are presumed to be um, in need of social mix. So the, the degraded category of the population that you can also politely not uh, mention with social mix policy, but it's, in, it's presumed to be there. And so this is typically uh, coded as racialized populations, lower income populations. And, uh, and they can be taken out of a, of a neighborhood dispersed. And so in American discourses, you hear this concept of deconcentration brought up quite a bit, which is politely, I think, not mentioned as much when social mix is the key word. Uh, in American deconcentration of poverty discourse, the, the, it's a bit more explicit who's at this lower end of, of the social mix uh, hierarchy, the people that need to be mixed and they're kind of categorized as, a, as an underclass, um, typically presumed to be racially marginalized 
residents of the American inner city. And so I think that some of these ideas about deconcentration uh, are not spoken about when we talk about social mix, but are often a little bit more explicitly mentioned in American policies of deconcentration. So those are some maybe starting points to kick us off on a definition of social mix. Well, I think I can continue. Um, I, I wrote uh, this, this definition several times. It's one of my publications actually was for an encyclopedia in urban studies. So I had to work a lot of, in a few words, defining this. So there are broad definitions and more specific definitions. Uh, in the broad sense, social mix just um, means um, diversity or social diversity in a given ge geographic area. And this diversity can be economical, racial, ethnical, cultural, whatever. Uh, the question is, how do we get there? Uh, how is social mix achieved and how it is experienced by poor residents? So. Historically, social mix has been a long-standing planning ideal. 200 years ago, people have been uh, pushing uh, for some type of social mix. Uh, this is included in the discourses from Howard to Jane Jacobs and other type of guys. Um, it has been proposed for a wide variety of goals. Some of those are moral goals. So other have been like healthy neighborhood goals and other stuff. Um, and it has been used interchangeably to refer to other concepts like integration, mixing of communities, poverty, deconcentration, balanced communities, and so on. So one of the things that I identified uh, conceptually is that there has been like at least seven means uh, for achieving social mix in the international literature, including from public policies. Uh, one of them, the most polemic of all is the demolition of public housing to other processes that have been just uh, emergent urban processes. Like if you think about the process of gentrification and you take just the five years in which you have the first newcomers, the, the first pioneers, and then the other poor people living there, if you check that picture, that is social mix. And that is a sort of emergent social process on, on some other social process from poor to wealthy or from wealthy to poor, whatever. If you take that moment, that is a moment of social mix that is sort of emergent, um, different from a public uh, policy in which you push uh, and in which you create uh, social mix. Um, the type of policy we, we have in Chile is for new uh, new social housing built in vacant land. So in vacant land, you have nothing, and then you have a new development, which is mixed, mixed from with, with a mixture of social housing and a mixture of middle-income housing. Uh, so there are different means of achieving it. Uh, and some of them are more polemic. Some other are not that polemic. Uh, but... Um, the big question uh, in terms of race is, is how is this experience by poor or excluded uh, neighbors or residents living there? Yeah, I can just add maybe uh, um, an, a recent strategy of social mixing or social mix politics that uh, have been or can be observed in Germany is uh, because Martin, you mentioned like positive politics attracting wanted 
um, people or negative politics like demolishing uh, uh, social housing, uh, like uh, uh, driving um, um, displacement processes. And there are, in Germany, you can, um, I, I would say this is social mixing politics too. You can observe some kind of preservation politics against the displacement of and, and hyper gentrification uh, in specific uh, former problematized quarters who now seem to have the right social mix that is integrating all the poorer people, the migrant people, and uh, yeah, give them the big opportunity to live in a middle-class dominated um, uh, area. So this is something that I think in Germany is now, uh, you can have, at least in Hamburg, you can have observed this kind of pres preservative social mixing politics too. So, and I think this is important from a German perspective because I would always say this is, like a social democratic uh, politic to bring a, in an historical perspective that, um, that emerged at the end of the Fordist promise of an equal uh, city or of equality for everyone. So social mix is, is not about equality, it is about to manage and arrange inequality that has to do with the Fordist, uh, the crisis of the Fordist city and what happened then. And in Germany, it's too, is it, it something that is connected to this is um, this, yeah, the, the political or urban politicals, uh, political actors, they had to acknowledge that there is a, a migrant labor force living in the, in, the, um, in the cities and appropriating urban spaces and they cannot longer be pushed out. They, uh, and they have to be, uh, be addressed as part of the, of the urban population. And so I think, I think social mixing, um, politics they have a history and they they are like um the changing with transformations of uh the society in their in its urban form and and um i think so the what we can observe now has to do with uh, the post fordist neoliberal transformation of of uh, welfare state of uh, public housing and all this stuff um And now there are these political social mixing coming in to solve these problems of to be an answer to problems that, um, that come up because of this kind of inequality, uh, new kinds of inequalities. Um, I think, so I think to, uh, uh, to make it short, it, I think it's good to have an historical perspective on social mixing politics. I think I'll just add to that. I, I appreciate that um, emphasis also on the historical con uh, context and also to an extent to continuity because Javier was saying that the, you know, there are these various different strategies. And when I think about social mix as um, a policy and planning strategy today, as well as 
being a discourse and sometimes a goal, uh, it's framed in all these different ways. It can, can play all these different roles that in the German context, anyways, it's, it does need to be understood as related to um, uh, earlier practices and, and often being seen as an improvement on earlier practices of things like quotas um, and bans on, on certain on, on migrants moving to certain neighborhoods. And so I would sort of add to the definition the sense that, um, that it's often framed as a policy innovation, as a sort of positive policy innovation that corrects the mistakes of the past, corrects that um, sort of the past uh, processes of, that have created segregation and that now need to be undone. Um, but I also think that kind of bridges with, um, bridges kind of into uh, thinking about what the problems are. We can't sort of define a social mix without, without beginning to talk about what's wrong with it, <laughs> I think. Maybe you could um, elaborate a bit on, like in your research, how with residents in those areas that have been subjected to social mix, how, how have they uh, experienced um, the social mix in the context of the stigmatized neighborhood? Sure, uh, maybe I can, I can start off on this one. Um, and the very sort of short answer to that question is that it is complicated. <laughs> and it's, I found, um, so in the context of my research in Hamburg-Wilhelmsburg, Uh, and specifically talking to racialized longtime residents of the neighborhood, which a neighborhood, um, or it's, it's not even really properly described as a neighborhood. It's a large island. There's a lot of different um, uh, land uses on the island, but it is, um, it has, is a neighborhood that has historically systemically devalued over, over many decades, and then has experienced since the early 2000s, um, targeted redevelopment along the lines of social mix that included uh, policies like attracting students to the island and, um, and thus trying to transform the use of apartments and houses that had sort of more than two bedrooms. It involved a large, um, several large projects slash events, the International Building Exhibition and the International Garden Show, which sort of transformed Uh, space and on, on quite a massive scale along that kind of sort of mega event sort of framing. Um, and then also had, so there is, uh, there's sort of a, a suite of different policies and projects happening at the same time. And the third one uh, was a social mixing directive in public housing. This was to my, uh, as far as I could tell, and Moritz might be able to correct me on this, but as far as I could tell that was, that social mixing directive was not widely advertised necessarily, but the people that I spoke to absolutely saw the effects of it. And so I found that the, the that social mixing, the, the projects and policies that were implemented in order to sort of drive towards a mix that was perceived from the outside as not being there because it was, um, because it has been um, a stigmatized and racialized space for, for quite some time, that there were 
um, aspects of there were sort of impacts of the policies that people were experiencing in terms of lack of access to apartments, uh, rising rents, um, lack of access to apartments that had been perceived as previously available to immigrants, to low-income people, to uh, Turkish-speaking people, just to sort of mention some of the, the people who participated in my research. I, I, I heard repeated many times, we used to be able to get an apartment in this or that uh, building or area, and now nobody's, nobody in my community is getting an apartment there. Something is happening. And um, there were those sorts of uh, experiences and also experiences of kind of immobilization and inability to move within the neighborhood because um, with uh, an influx of kind of a white German middle class, there was uh, more pressure put on an already tight housing market, but a housing market that had historically been kind of delinked from the rest of the city of Hamburg. And so I heard from people that, um, you know, now I need a slightly larger apartment and there, there's no hope of doing that. I need to, if I want to stay in this neighborhood, I have to stay in this apartment. Um, or I need a, you know, I need, I need renovation in my apartment and there's not really hope of that happening. I'm, I'm kind of stuck where I am. So there was this side of things. And there was also among the people that I talked to a real, um, uh, sometimes a real buy-in to the, the narrative of social mix, the promise of it as, um, as potentially creating all of these sorts of goals that we've talked about, a healthier neighborhood, uh, a sense of balance and stabilization. Those are terms that are very uh, prominent in, in the German planning framing and also in the legal framing of why discrimination is allowed in housing uh, when, when you're, when, um, for the purpose of social mix that there was a sense among the people that I talked to that it could potentially create cre correct the planning mistakes of the past, um, that the city had intentionally kind of cre uh, ghettoized uh, the island is what folks said to me. And, um, and now they were trying to intentionally kind of undo the problems that they had created or the concentration that they had created. So it was, it's a, it was a calm, what I found was a very complex picture of, uh, on the one hand, negative experiences, uh, which I read as the, the effects or the knock-on effects of social mix, and also some real interest and investment in the notion of social mix. Not least, and I just want to mention this, and, and, um, and I'll pass it off to you, it was um, a real hope that social mixing could push uh, white middle-class Germans to live among people that they have not historically wanted to live among. Um, and I, I often heard people who um, were, for example, immigrants from Turkey, they had migrated 20, 30, 40 years before some of them and had lived in the neighborhood for a long time and really uh, had experienced that uh, Germans don't like to be around us. So, uh, so just to, to quote one of the participants, uh, one of them talked about how, um, you know, I'm Turkish, I live in Germany, but I can't be among Germans. I can, but Germans don't like to be among us. And at least that's not, that's not what I have seen. And so this is why these projects are happening. They saw that the structure has to change, that Germans need to be brought in. And, um, and this was kind of a sense that, 
um, social mix was a way of forcing mix actually on uh, the um, a dominant population that otherwise had fled the had fled the island, and um, so that's what that sort of uh, has been my experience or what I've heard about uh, people's experiences with social mix in a really stigmatized neighborhood is the sort of um, is a is this complex on one hand a critique of of some of the effects of it and on the other hand um, a hope that it would actually. Um, create some of the neighborhood benefits that people have really wanted actually for a long time. I think one way of seeing the problem, um, one, when, one way of approaching this is, is could be about saying um, the micro experience and the macro experience. So do poor or excluded or lower status people want to live mixed? Uh, why do they have to to do it that's like a sort of first question and then from from the stratosphere and from the macro processes do we want the city to keep segregated uh, how are we going to do it how are we going to stop it what can we do for it and are we going to privilege like real estate development or a socially just city so those two questions are very very difficult to 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 work with when you're a public official I, i'm not in the in the pants or in the shoes of those guys uh, but of course it's difficult because generally I, I, my study was a comparative study i was studying poor blacks living with wealthy whites in the us and poor people living with uh, wealthier middle-class people living in Santiago for occurring through different processes of social mix. Uh, but, but in both cases, poor people didn't care about living close to, uh, to wealthier people or to upper status people. They, 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 they didn't think they need it. Uh, and it was imposed to them or that process was something that, that was out of their expectations. But from the upper side, from, from, from the city level, country level, or, or whatever kind of level of analysis, you will say, okay, you need some type of less segregated city. How can we do this? Do we let the city be more mixed, more gentrified, more segregated or something? Uh, and then there are ways of imposing it. Uh, and, and as I was mentioning before, when you have these seven type of means of achieving social mix, you have the quotas in, in, in France, for example, uh, for having in each kind of municipality at least 20% of social housing units. Uh, and people is, is, is achieving that, uh, those municipalities, uh, just for a few exceptions, but it's kind of working. If you conceive that as social mix, uh, that's, that's not something that you, that you feel is like against poor people uh, on the other it's the contrary it's for including people in some in some richer municipalities but if you think of social mix like in Karina Green Chicago demolition exclusion of people discrimination all types of problem for poor blacks is a totally different situation um, and they have to share the same building share the same administration share the rules impose by a group of white people who want to have their moral standards on top of the others. Uh, so there is a kind of variety of experiences, but in general, I could say that people, poor people don't want it. 
uh, is not their expectations. It's kind of imposed in most of the cases. Um, but we need to think of some way of doing this, not, not, not social mix in the same building, but some type of desegregation of cities. And that's a more complex question. So maybe we are not able of answering that because we are not planners working in a, in a, in a public uh, position right now, but, but we need to think about that. So in terms of the experiences of social mix and stigmatized neighborhoods, um, the community I looked at, I really saw playing out what I found in the literature. Um, so you have these expectations, I guess, or promises that are made by policymakers for social mix. And here I'm talking about um, the approach to social mix, like uh, Javier just mentioned that was taken up in, in Cabrini Green, right? This forced imposition of social mix where you're, I mean, essentially state-driven gentrification of uh, low-income communities, right? And the promises are that there will be all sorts of benefits for the people living in those communities. So they'll benefit in terms of social uplift. They'll benefit from uh, role modeling, which is, I think, a deeply offensive concept, but this idea that seeing higher income, higher status people will somehow rub off on the behaviors of people living in these communities. And they will miraculously no longer uh, be affected by structural racism and, and poverty uh, and these things. And so, oh, and also there's like, all these ex expectations that uh, you'll see people's incomes improve, better employment outcomes, better educational outcomes for children. All these types of things are supposed to somehow happen through these interactions that are going to take place in, in mixed income neighborhoods. Uh, and so in my research, what I found, which echoed what most research shows is that that interaction doesn't exactly occur. And when it does, the, um, the expectations aren't necessarily borne out in terms of the benevolent behaviors of the people who are bringing mixed to these communities. So what I found in the in Regent Park, a public housing community that was quote unquote revitalized and um, became a mixed income neighborhood through uh, the de demolition of public housing and then the redevelopment of the community with a combination of new public housing and a lot of condos, like 75% of the community is condos. Uh, and I studied this uh, early on in the redevelopment. So it was just starting to become mixed. And what I found was the people who were living there said, you know, for the most part, the condo residents don't really speak to us or they, we, we see aversion to interaction. And so this sort of echoes what you see in the literature. Um, so not only is this concept of role modeling and this kind of like uh, rub off benefits of interaction deeply offensive and something that should just be critiqued on its own. Beyond that, it doesn't exactly happen. And there's also, I think, a, a critique of the presumed benevolence of the people who were coming in. This idea that by being there, they were going to use all of their social clout, race privilege, um, political power to improve the neighborhood they're living in and to benefit the people who were there before them. This just doesn't seem to be the case. Um, I, I spoke to one person who was advocating for social mix and she said, you know, we middle-class people, we have pointy elbows. We get things done in a city. You know, if there's a, if a street light is burned out, we'll call. 
we'll call our political representatives. And what I saw happening when I did my research is that these pointy elbows tended to be directed at the incumbent public housing residents who were living in these forcibly mixed neighborhoods. So yes, they would call the police uh, if they saw um, black people outside essentially, um, or if they thought their neighbors were behaving in ways they didn't like, they would call the housing authority, call the police. Uh, and so the, the political power and social capital of these newcomers isn't necessarily gonna be used in the service of improving the neighborhood for all or trying to help uh, the people who live there. Um, and as I've mentioned before, I also am deeply <laughs> critical of those assumptions in the first place. And then also, I think um, the other thing I saw really just echoes what Julie was saying in that these uh, redevelopment projects are essentially state-driven gentrification processes that are leading to displacement, uh, house price increases, all of the negative impacts of gentrification, changing the the cultural makeup of the community, changing the types of stores that are in the community, creating social, cultural, political displacement, right? And so I saw people uh, living with the impacts of that, higher priced housing in the neighborhood, maybe less of, of a feeling of belonging. And also lots of people pointed to the idea that this wasn't being done for them. So the neighborhood was being redeveloped, new facilities and amenities were coming into this community and, if, and I'll also echo, Julie, you mentioned so many times that lots of people had hopes for social mix and bought into the narratives of social mix. And I saw that particularly when I spoke to people prior to redevelopment, a lot of the people who were living in public housing bought into these promises and were excited for this new world that was going to unfold for them. Speaking to people after it had started, uh, they were starting to see something different and realizing that the changes that were being made were to sell the community uh, to middle-class condo buyers, people who could afford to move in there. And in fact, their presence there was something that was potentially going to dissuade people from buying or was something that needed to be reduced, right? Uh, proportionally in the community in order to make it a successful real estate development. And so this idea that the neighborhood wasn't being redeveloped for them um, was seen in really obvious ways. So there was say like user fees for some of the new amenities. Uh, there was a community center in, that was initially going to be named after the community Regent Park. And at the, at the launch, it was actually, they changed the name and named it after the developer, right? So that was, I think, a, a pretty good symbolic moment, really emphasizing what this was all about. In our last research project, we investigated conflicts uh, people uh, experience around everyday um, appropriation of housing, uh, using neighborhood spaces, public spaces and infrastructures in areas designated as uh, in need of development and uh, who should be treated with um, politics of social mix. So we Uh, we applied a perspective from below so just um and asked people what are the the trouble what is the trouble you experience in this neighborhood and um one of these neighborhoods was essen altendorf it's a highly stigmatized neighborhood um with yeah it's a 
there's a criminalizing discourse of clans um, and there's everyday deviance and um, and yeah concentrated poverty a high share of foreigners and so on and um, because uh, Julie and Martin you talked about the hopes people associate with uh, social mixing politics yeah the white German inhabitants of Altendorf, they had hopes. They had the hopes that of the reconquering of the neighborhoods for the white German natives. And they were, they were disappointed because this, this did not work. And this was, um, we, in our interviews, we, we had uh, um, yeah, common narratives, mostly among white Germans, that nothing worked. Uh, to say a, a little bit about the strategies applied, it was basically the same you mentioned, like um, uh, building new housing uh, um, uh, for richer people, uh, new community centers, um, social work, Uh, programs of social work like um, the community work, yeah, renovating the, the housing stock, building new public spaces, new parks, artificial lakes and all this stuff. Yeah, and, and working at the image, at the neighborhood image. Um, but that in, the, in the experience of, uh, oh, let's say one thing, um, to the development of the um, of the of Essen Altendorf in the last years, it was one of the arrival uh, neighborhoods where people from uh, southeastern Europe arrived in 2013, 2014, and 2015, and also many of the refugees who came to Germany uh, since 2015, they all came to Essen-Altendorf or many of them came to Essen-Altendorf. So there was like a external migrant dynamic that was shaping uh, the, the experience of people that had nothing to do or something to do, but not so much to do with what the, um, the urban politicians did in upgrading uh, the neighborhood. But in the feeling of the German natives, this all failed, and the promise they gave to us was to reconquer this uh, neighborhood, and they failed. So, and on the uh, turnaround, mi migrant people, people who are made to migrants, who are uh, um, yeah, said to have a migration background and all this stuff, they say, well, the Germans, they have become more racist, more xenophobic, they treat us bad. And this is, I would say, this has to do with the politics of social mixing too, because there's this promise, okay, we reconquer, we normalize these uh, spaces. And the normalization politics in Essen-Altendorf, they were... Um, they were yeah, shaped or they were, they were shaped by um, law and order politics too. Like we all know that there was um, police controls every day when we were um, making our research or field research there. We were, uh, we, every day we saw police controlling mostly migrant people. And this was closely connected to um, this um, um, 
this neighborhood change that was intended by uh, the local governance. So um, I think this is very important to 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 say that everyday racism in this problematized quarter was um, yeah fostered by the social mixing politics. I think, yeah. Yeah, thank you, everyone, uh, for this very uh, critical and at the same time very sobering analysis um, from your research in different parts uh, of the world. I'd like, as a last round, uh, challenge you with that question. Is there a socially just social mix planning, in your opinion or in your research? Uh, Javier, you mentioned that um, that quota uh, from the French uh, system that uh, requires districts to have a quota of public housing. Since you mentioned me, I'm going to start answering. <clears throat> It all depends on what's the goal of social mix. Uh, if the goal is to have more people calling the police, as, as Martin and Moritz mentioned, I think that's not desirable for for poor or excluded minorities. Uh, but if you said the goal is to live in a, um, in a better district in terms of uh, more funding for education, more funding for public space, a better administration of um, the fire department or healthcare or something like that, if you have a better tax base, uh, maybe social mix could work because you have a mixture of people Uh, instead of just having poor people. It also, it also depends on how do you do distribute uh, like resources, uh, infrastructure, opportunities in the city. What is your system of, this, of, of territorial distribution of those things? Uh, if your tax base is based on the people who lives, specifically lives on those places and your area is totally poor, You don't have money even for watering the plants of your parks. And that happens in, in poor neighborhoods in Chile. Uh, and if you have some mixture, but it depends on how do you how is your tax system built in your country. So some some administrations, some institutional frameworks could work better uh, if you have a mixture, if if your tax base or your institutional framework. Uh, is connected to the people who lives there. Um, so in that sense, I would say uh, social mix could be beneficial for an area, uh, but not for governing every, uh, every or each relationship or micro relationship or, or calling something like calling the police every day or, 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 or just um, searching for people or stopping Uh, people on the streets like um, there are like different sorts of questions and different levels different scales for which you can think of of social mix uh, maybe at the at the level of of, of a quarter of a neighborhood or a, or a bigger districts uh, instead of thinking in a building and rules and police and searches and stuff like that so There are a lot of questions, a lot of problems with which you can deal with a mixed neighborhood. Uh, some of them are, are totally wrong or totally unbeneficial for people. And some others could be beneficial if you treat them in a better way.
I think that to try to conceive of what a socially just social mix would look like, it's also important to point out like a couple more flaws with the social mix model that as it's been deployed, um, and we've all been sort of speaking around this, um, but it really does accept this fundamental social and racial inequality as a starting point and doesn't try to address any of those root causes, but instead just takes that as a given. So there's an acceptance that white middle-class people uh, in our society have more political power and social clout. Instead of saying, why is that? How can we undermine that and change things? It, the answer is, okay, let's move those people to these areas where people can be effectively ignored for proper service and infrastructure investment and uh, security and all of these things. They've been in, in the public housing community where I studied, that's exactly what happened. And the idea was that, well, once these people come in who have more um, power, some of that will be used to improve this neighborhood uh, rather than questioning that. So I think it's really morally bankrupt to promote solutions that are just basically trying to deploy class and white supremacy uh, to try to solve these problems, right? Rather than um, trying to ask, how do we make it so that people living in public housing aren't poor and uh, aren't forced uh, away from opportunity and so on. And then the other issue with it too, which is similar, is it's basically a spatial problem, right? Where you're trying to move people around in space, but not addressing any of the underlying material inequalities that they're facing. And so uh, where I did my research, this was very obvious. You know, uh, a lot of the people were moved to other public housing communities. Uh, the illegal drug trade was pushed to other low-income communities nearby. So while there were some changes on the footprint of the community that was subject to the social mix policy, if you were to just um, look at a broader scale, social inequality in the city and poverty and disadvantage were uh, remained, but were just moved around to different places. So I think um, the concept of social mix itself has a lot of power, as I mentioned at the beginning. People believe in it. And there is something that we find palatable about the idea that people shouldn't be segregated, right? And so in this sense, the, the idea has some sort of potential value uh, if it can be mobilized in ways that promote um, increasing access to affordable spaces within the city. Uh, for example, build, uh, there's an example I typically draw on. There's a wealthy neighborhood in, in Toronto called Rosedale and activists here have said, build social housing in Rosedale if you wanna create social mix, right? Rather than taking away affordable housing in a long time, low-income community, expand the, the options and the availability of high quality social housing and communities that are experiencing good investment and places that have good schools and so on um, for the people without need, them needing to, you know, be subject to, to state-driven gentrification policies. So if the concept of social mix can be mobilized in favor of in improving opportunity and creating more social and affordable housing, I think Javier has pointed to some good problems that could still uh, exist with that in terms of some of the um, politics of what I've called the, the the presumed benevolence of middle class in these mixed neighborhoods, that can still be an issue. But um, I think there is some potential there if the if the concept of social mix is, is mobilized in that way. 
I'm a little bit, I don't know how to say it. I don't think that segregation is a, is should, from a German co context speaking, is a, is should be seen as a problem. I think this is one of the big problems of the social mixing debate. It's not about segregation that is should be a problem if we talk about how we imagine a social socially just city. I think it's about redistribution. It's about redistribution of wealth, of of uh, of resources, of infrastructures, of uh, housing, a space, of the means of reproduction. I think, and it's about talk about uh, division of labor. It's to talk about the structures of of the racialized capital society in its urban form. I think segregation is not or it's the wrong it's the wrong problematization i really think so and so this is why i think social mixing there cannot be a, a, a social socially just social mix planning um i would i would always turn around the question social mix is a problem for uh, uh for urban governance it's not a problem uh Or, on, or, or say segregation. It's not always a problem for people. The problem is not segregation, but the problem is the lack of infrastructures, resources, housing, and all this stuff. So, um, yeah, maybe we, we could, um, yeah, I don't know, maybe this in, in other countries, uh, ge geographical context, this can be really different. But I think from From a German perspective, I would really push this forward and say anti-segregation uh, anti, um, poli policies are, are a problem because they destroy structures and infrastructure, social networks built from below. I think this is really a problem. And they want to impose the norms of middle-class lifestyles in every part of the city. They want to discipline Uh, people um, and all this stuff. And I really think we should, from a critical perspective, we should not um, think about how we could better social mix politics, but what we could do instead. Mm. Gosh, I appreciate this discussion so much. I, um, I have such discomfort with um with social mix policy because i my one of my core concerns is that um that process really matters and that i i i can sort of envision a goal i can certainly envision a mixed neighborhood i kind of live in one myself right now where i've landed in winnipeg where there is a mix of people from different backgrounds and socioeconomic um situations and it's a there's a mix of different urban forms and housing forms and it, it it's a very interesting place to live i am of course also a white professional who is has landed in a real position of power and benefiting from what's around me right um I think in I think that context in Germany, um, Moritz, as you said, the sort of the problem with the framing of segregation. And one a key thing in Germany is that segregation. We know this from 
uh, empirical research, segregation itself is actually extremely limited. It hardly even exists in, in Germany, but it is problematized on a giant scale or has been anyways. And it kind of goes through waves where it's problematized more or less. So the, like the problem statement is very large and the, the situation is not, doesn't actually reflect the problem statement. And so the, so it's starting from a, a false premise to begin with, I think, is, is part of what you're identifying and I, um, I relate to. But then I also think that um, I, I, my concern is that social mix policy in particular um, and the sort of instruments of social mixing, they act as this form, they create a form of, of uh, displaceability. I've been really influenced or sort of inspired by Oren uh, Yiftache's uh, form, formulation of the, the idea of displaceability, where it labels certain people as kind of um, manipulable or um, as, as it, it creates a, a condition where it becomes possible to move certain people around. And I wonder if there's, I'm not convinced that there's any way that that ends well. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> where um, that if we're, if we're operationalizing these very sort of um, basic, uh, hierarchized categorizations of people also. Um, and I do sometimes see that there is, there can be distinctions between social mixing on the basis of housing tenure or of income, perhaps. I've also encountered in the people that I talked to in Wilhelmsburg, a lot more acceptance and comfort with um, mixing on the basis of, of class or of income. But when we're talking about uh, judging on, based on people's last names, um, which is what is happening in Wilhelmsburg and has been happening in Wilhelmsburg, judging whether they should have access to, to the neighborhood or to housing based on last names or the hair color and, and skin color, I, I feel like the results, um, uh, the results are going to be fundamentally problematic because we are because because we are reproducing racism by by doing that, and so um, I guess I, I have a real difficult time envisioning. Then I can envision a, a, a socially just, social mixed city, socially mixed neighborhood, but the technique or the planning strategy of getting to it, uh, I have trouble envisioning. Um, the strategy ever being just, um, that's kind of where, where I get stuck. Just to add to the last comments on, on what Martin was saying, um, I was showing here in the, in the chat of our Zoom meeting um, a very famous picture, uh, demonstrators in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. Um, the, 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 the recovery plans there included social mix or, or part of the Hope 6 uh, program and funding especially. And they were demonstrating against uh, why uh, wealthy neighborhoods were not touched by that. Uh, so that, that's the point. If you do social mix, why you just do it in poor neighborhoods, uh, including demolition? Why you don't include or insert or remove some of the wealthy guys 
uh, and, and, and and put some social housing in those social social units in those places. Uh, so that's a more fair question and, and kind of a more different way of approaching the problem of society, or a more integral, exhaustive maybe uh, way of, of, of approaching the idea, not always thinking in displacement, thinking in, in moving uh, people to the resources. There is a paper from Iris Marion Young about that from a philosophical point of view. Uh, it's about why do we are, are always thinking or public policies are always always thinking in terms of moving people to opportunities. Why do, you, do, do we do the opposite? Moving resources to people, to those poor neighborhoods, uh, instead of just gentrifying them or, or letting the market doing it, uh, introducing more funding, more opportunities, more infrastructure to those neighborhoods. And maybe the mix is going to come after that because people, wealthier people are going to feel attracted to those neighborhoods. So just let the market maybe do that job, but first start with the opportunities and the, and the social infrastructure that people need in those places uh, before letting the market those operations. Yeah, I'll make a final comment just to really echo that. I mean, if social mix is really about trying to improve resources and opportunity for people who are living in quote unquote unmixed neighborhoods, then a social mix policy is a very indirect way to get those outcomes. The idea is, okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll demolish it or we'll redevelop it or we'll create all this real estate development. Then we'll sit back and wait. And hopefully we'll get some sort of interactions between these groups and we'll get some sort of mobilization among the middle class who will fight for better infrastructure and, you know, make sure that the schools improve and all these things. And then eventually, maybe if we come back in a few years, we can measure it and this neighborhood will have improved uh, infrastructure and resources. There's a better way to do it, A, because that doesn't happen. And so many studies have been done to show that. Uh, and B, because it's just so indirect. And there's an interesting example of a of a project actually in Winnipeg, um, uh, written about by Jim Silver, where they the community didn't have the quote unquote problem, or I guess the, the luxury of gentrification pressures. And they thought, okay, we're going to have to create a socially mixed neighborhood from scratch from the people who already live in this public housing community by trying to help them get better jobs and by bringing educational resources to this community so that you would get social mix when the people who were living there uh, had improved their own material circumstances. And in addition to that, why not also invest in the housing so that people aren't living in low quality uh, housing and all these things. So it's uh, definitely a, a less roundabout way to get it. Probably a lot more effective is to actually just invest in communities for the people who live in them for their own sake. I think that's an amazing last word. <laughs> Yeah, thanks very much, everybody. It's such a pleasure to get to talk to each other. Thanks to you for listening. For more information, visit our website, urbanpolitical.podigy.io. Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter.